Bring me your tired, your stressed, your overwhelmed and anxious, yearning for some joy in life. It's time to go out and play. Playgrounding podcast. This is Kara Stuart Fortier. Now, this week you have already heard from today's guest. Um, she was on last week in episode 61. It's Jessica Brustad who came on with Rona Lewis last week to talk about their Playful Mind project. But this week we're going to take a deeper dive with Jessica into the topic of mental health, play for mental health. Um, that is, we got very excited when we realized this was a passion we both had and a story that we could share. Um, and we're going to share those stories with you today. Um, everything I've been wanting to say about play and mental health, we basically talk about in this episode. And so I will keep this brief. But here's a little more about Jessica than you heard in last week's episode. She is, once again, the co-founder and chair mom of Playful Mind Project. She's also an experienced sales and project manager who now does improv and stand-up comedy. She earned her stripes in the corporate world early with managing positions from startups in New York City to household names like MySpace. After taking an improv class in L.A., she quickly realized that the corporate world was not for her or maybe the corporate world wasn't ready for her. Um, play had to take center stage. So she continued to pursue her joy, which included studying improv and stand-up comedy at Mission Improvable in Los Angeles and the National Comedy Theater in San Diego. She received her 500-hour registered training yoga teacher training through Yoga Works at, at the Prana Yoga Center in La Jolla, California. And she also became a certified laughter yoga leader through the International Laughter Yoga University. Now, these two contradictory interests led her to create her own business, The Funny Yogi. Not funny, haha, more funny, weird. <laughs> With The Funny Yogi, Jessica started teaching her own classes, leading workplace shops and seminars. She became a popular motivational speaker also. Her passion is to help those suffering and find relief by connecting and committing to their joy. She has worked with individuals struggling with mental health issues like anxiety, OCD, and postpartum mood disorders. She has helped companies like Google and Microsoft improve their cultures through her original style and mindfulness programs, as well as transformed communities from California to Norway. Wait till you hear this. Now, meet Jessica. Jessica, this is just you and me this time. I'm so excited to get to talk to you. <laughs> Yay, me too. <laughs> wow. Well, um, last week we got to hear all about your um, or the Playful Mind project that you're working on with Rona. But when we were on the phone for the first time, the three of us, you and I kind of got off on a tangent and <laughs> yes. I just so loved it. And I just couldn't even believe like how much I think I could learn from you and I just really can't wait for my listeners to learn from you as well. So um, I want to hear about your life and I want to hear about everything because um, there's so much to learn. But I just I'm what the thing that I got so far is that if you're going through mental health issues, you sort of feel like you want to hide and you sort of feel like nobody's going to get it. And you just, just go hide in a hole and never come out again. Um, but your life is proof that that is not what will happen if you have issues with mental health. And I just kind of want to like, okay. let's just start at the beginning. And yeah. Thank you. First of all, <laughs> thank you. It is so nice to hear you know, validation and that your story, your life is resonating with other people. Mm -hmm. That is my, my goal, my mission ever since I went through these difficult struggles is to help others. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, and what's great about it is it's more and more practice of, Hey, come out of the shell. Don't yeah. hide away with this. Open up to people because and that's the biggest thing I think I want your listeners to take away from this is that you can be extremely vulnerable and at the same time, extremely confident mm. and authentic. And every time you do it, this world, especially right now, the, the time that we're living in, I feel very lucky. And I know that's weird because I don't know when this is going to air, but it's 2020 and it's kind right. of wish forever. <laughs> but I do feel very lucky in the fact that 
there has been a lot of work done before me by wonderful women and men around mental health. Um, and that the collective consciousness, the collective reality that we all co-create together is lifted in my mind, as opposed to, you know, the generations before. So mm-hmm. I feel very lucky and there's still a lot of work to do. And just to let people know that just your take on talking to me and hearing about my life makes you feel that way. It's again, a further practice and, and affirmation for me that don't hide this away. If you open up and show your vulnerabilities and show your scars and show your hurt and show your trauma, Mm -hmm. people will number one, relate to you because everybody has trauma. Mm -hmm. And number two, people will trust you. And number three, people will show you kindness and compassion and they will be inspired by you. So it's like, let's just do it, man. Let's just play (laughs) with it and just get it all out there. And the more you practice it, I know you've heard me say this before, but I don't (laughs) believe that practice makes perfect. Mm -hmm. I don't even believe that practice makes progress. I believe that practice makes permanence. Mm -hmm. So the more I tell my story, the more I talk about it, the easier it gets for me with my emotional threshold and my resiliency and Mm -hmm. also the the easier it gets for this collective consciousness to take in this information, lower any stigma that's there and get help themselves. Absolutely. Oh, so important. I'm, I'm learning this as I go, you know, like every little bit of this is all just coming in for me and it's like new information and I need to, so you, you're here at a very specific time in my life too. So (laughs) hashtag universe. Exactly. Exactly. That's what happens all the time. (laughs) Well, I'm dying to get to know you better, um, to get to hear more of your story. We just barely scratched the surface. Uh. Yeah. So, I mean, it starts back in 1983 in Washington. (laughs) (laughs) Now I've just dated myself when people know how old I am. Uh. I am very wordy, but I'm not going to go back that far. Uh, just, you know, regular middle-class, uh, upbringing life. And, um, in college, I found out that I had a generalized anxiety disorder and panic disorder. Mm -hmm. I had my first panic attack when I was 21 years old. I had no idea what it was, was in the hospital and thought I was going to die. And well, newsflash, I didn't, not to spoil the story. (laughs) (laughs) It was actually a panic attack, not a heart attack. And so that really just kind of was my life for a while. Of course, I was going to therapy. I was on different medication. I mean, I've been on every medication you can list. Zoloft, Xanax, Prozac, Paxil, Buspar, Ativan, Clonopin, Clonazepam. Like, wow. A, a lot, a lot <laughs> yeah. of that. So I, I know the gamut. Um, and, uh, you know, just kind of, I guess, struggled with it. And I thought, this is just going to be my life, you know, mm-hmm. and this is something that I'm going to have to struggle with. And that's what my life felt like. It felt like a struggle. Uh, but I was, you know, raised right. And I was that straight A student and I was that type A achiever. So I was like, you you just got to struggle through this. And, and, (laughs) and life is just something you got to struggle through, I guess, or at least for me, it's going to be. So that was my life. I lived in New York city. I lived in Los Angeles. I worked at big tech companies, like I mentioned, like MySpace back in the day when it actually was a thing. Um, and so, you know, from everything on the outside, I looked like a very put together, successful person. Uh, and I always, always also had this type of confidence. So I -hmm. also like to be in awareness that people that suffer from anxiety disorders are not always like the wallflowers. They're not always the people that are, um, quiet or shy. I am very outgoing. I am very outspoken. You know, I like to say mental health doesn't discriminate, (laughs) you, you know, and we, for some reason we think like, depression is like a, a um like oh you, you look like a depressed type or oh you're really like hyped up type and it's like there's no type okay it's mm-hmm. just it's just what happens going on in here with all of our chemicals and our life situation and 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 what we do with that so that was my life for a long time and then i uh took an improv class on a whim my, i found it on a groupon and my i told my girlfriend i said because i was kind of nervous to do it by myself but i wanted to try it and my girlfriend said okay, I'll do it. I want to learn how to like speak up better in meetings. So we were really just doing it to like 
learn how to like lean in, right? And like mm-hmm. speak up better in meetings and get confidence. I didn't think I was going to become an improviser or get on a reality TV show. So <laughs> I took this improv class in LA and actually right around the time of the, after every take a class, they normally have like a show, like a, a graduation show yeah, where yeah. you perform for your friends and family. Mm-hmm. Right around that time, I had my first mental breakdown in 2011. I had... Mm. A debilitating panic attack and was deemed disabled by my psychiatrist. Uh, the most humbling experience of my life was wow. into my employer with a prescription pad uh, note from my psychiatrist saying that I was deemed disabled and could no longer work. And that's how I quit my job. That's how I quit my oh job. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. And that was the last like real like full-time job I would say that I had. So I, I handed that in. And I had to quit and go on disability. I was 28 years old. This Mm -hmm. was not my plan in life. Uh, I had to move back home with my parents, back in my hometown. Um, It got so bad, I couldn't even drive a car. Uh, A lot of things that, you know, people just take for granted, just the easiest things. Um, And it got so bad that I actually started to become agoraphobic. And for those Mm -hmm. of you who may not know what that term is, we were just talking about like, (laughs) you know, difficult psychological terms. Yeah, yeah. Agoraphobia is when you're so fearful of the outside world that you cannot leave your home. Mm -hmm. And I say this to let you know that, and to let your listeners know that there is hope because now what I do is I stand up on stage in front of thousands of people all over the country and the world being a motivational speaker. (laughs) So you (laughs) you can go from not being able to leave your home to doing that. Mm-hmm. And that, I am, I am the proof of that. And I will own that and say, yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. And that is needed. I, that what you just said is so needed. And I, because when you're in that space, you don't think it's ever going to change you and it kind of, anything's going to change mm-hmm. that, that piece of paper that you handed to your boss. <laughs> I mean, to me, like when I, you know, first started actually getting help. It's like, it feels like the scarlet letter or something. Like it's something that you just like, everyone's going to know and I'm just broken and blah, blah, blah. And it just feels like the end of the world. I I had feelings for years later. I mean, this is past my recovery, quote unquote, and I'll talk a little bit about that. What I did Mm -hmm. to you know, make that big change. I kind of, kind of took a big leap right there. <laughs> right. Anybody can be a motivational speaker. Yeah. Yay. Just, just go, just go start speaking. Just, You're good. Just do it. Um, <laughs> but even after my recovery, even after all these successes that I had post this breakdown, I still, I remember I would like see that old boss on LinkedIn, right? Cause you know, the internet is fabulous, but it also keeps all your history mm-hmm. right there. Yes, so it does. Every time I would see him on there, I would just, I would, I would have this feeling of like, oh, I could, I, I could never ask him for a recommendation or I could never, you know, get hired at a company that he's working at because he knows this about me, right? Ugh. He knows the scarlet letter. I've been branded as someone who had to quit their job because I couldn't take it, right? And I'm doing yeah. air quotes right now for people who aren't watching this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because that is a bullshit. Oh, I don't know if you have- It's all right. Grownups. That is a BS way to, to state it. But a lot of people say that, oh, you, oh she couldn't take it. You know, and it's like, that's not what it was. But I, I, years later would put that on me and think, oh, people are going to think that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So and but it, the more you talk about it and the mm-hmm. more you uh, uh, peel the onion away around this, you, you'll find out that even those people that you're like, oh, I could never tell them, they or someone they love mm-hmm. have suffered. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's or they the just have threat. a million questions and they just don't know enough about it to form an opinion and they're terrified to ask. <laughs> terrified to ask. Yeah. And that's something that I have a real passion around. And that's one of the channels of the Playful Mind Project. It's around shifting your work. Mm-hmm. I really have a passion for being able to equip employees and employers with the right tools to come out, if you will, about your mental illness at work. Yeah. We have done so much in terms of other um, uh, acceptance and transformation around language and bathrooms and break rooms and everything. And, you know, even to the point of, you know, good lighting outside and parking lots and safety and security guards for, you know, whether it's women or whatever else, like we've done so much in mm. this corporate culture to be very aware, very woke, if you will. Right. <laughs> yeah. But still 
there's two areas that I feel that we have not done a lot of work on. Number one, mental health. Mm -hmm. People are more comfortable coming out about their sexual orientation than their mental wellness at work. That is a fact. Yeah. And number two, we have not done a lot in terms of working mothers, moms at work. Yep. We have not, we know there's an issue and no one knows how to tackle it or wants to tackle it. Mm-hmm. And, and those two things I have to tell you have a lot in common. Yeah. Uh, working moms and mental health. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows, you know, about postpartum, they hear that word, but I didn't really know a lot of it until ding, 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 second breakdown. Uh, okay. <laughs> Number two. Uh, until second breakdown, I have just recently gone into recovery for postpartum OCD. And I didn't know that existed. I had Mm-mm. only heard of postpartum depression. Um, and now they're changing the word to be uh, PMADS, which stands for postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. Oh, wow. They're finding that more women actually suffer from postpartum anxiety than postpartum depression. Really? Huh. More, more suffer from postpartum anxiety and people don't even realize they just hear, oh, it's postpartum depression. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. The staying up all night, Googling endlessly, is she breathing? Oh, hand over, hand over the nose. Oh, yeah. check the monitor, check the monitor, check the monitor. Yeah. Oh, are we feeding her the right thing? Did, was the milk warm enough? Was it too cold? What, you know, and, and with the internet, yeah. We, we can Google and we can find any answer our brain wants to find. And you can spin and spin and spin. Oh, that's, man. The new, that's the new motherhood. Yeah, yeah. In since the age of the internet, and especially now since the age of social media, with all of the mom comparison, mom judgment, there's just it's really ramped up. I would say in the last twenty years, and mm-hmm. now that I'm a mother, I've experienced it. So you know those two those two issues are very near and dear to my heart, and they are the in my mind the only two issues uh, that the corporate world has not really focused on. Mm-hmm. That motherhood, working moms, and mental illness are not a part of their DEI strategy diversity, Mm -hmm. equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why. Yeah. That's a, that's a really, really tough one. I I left the corporate world about eight years ago, about seven years ago now myself, but I do remember that just being mind boggling, you know, just watching the the women who, you know, they're trying to make their way up the ladder and they have to hide a lot of who they are in order to do that. And to do that, they had to basically start destroying themselves from the inside out, hair falling out, teeth breaking. It's, yeah. It was heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Uh, in, in, uh, weight gain, increased weight loss. I mean, there's so many ways that uh, mental illness can can manifest physically and, and in our work too, where, you know, maybe you're not going after the bigger projects because you know, oh, you know, my daughter's struggling with this, this quarter, or we're yeah. going to get braces and I have to go to the orthodontist every week, or so I'm not going to go out for that. Or they're not going to pick me if I let them know that I'm pregnant because mm-hmm. they need somebody for the next six months and it might require international travel, whatever it is. There yeah. are so many reasons why that happens. And I, 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 I understand it, but I don't understand why no one's trying to tackle that issue. Mm -hmm, And so that in a very, you know, small, or let's just say big way is something (laughs) that myself and my business partner, Rona really want to try to start making that shift. And we use the word shift Shift. a lot. I love it. (laughs) Number one, because we just love like play on words with cuss Mm -hmm. words because we are some four letter ladies. Um, Yes. So, you know, shift happens. Yep. And, you know, you got to be able to deal with it. And <laughs> it's not a buck up, you know, and deal no. with it. It's a let's practice some self-care and some techniques that are proven to work. Let's play with some concepts. Let's try on different ways of being and interacting in the world and be, play with our relationships and make small shifts. And if we make these small shifts happen in your brain, just the way you think about things, the way you intentionally breathe, the mm-hmm. way you intentionally laugh. Uh, and these are things that people don't think we have control over. We do. These small shifts that we practice is our goal to make big shifts happen in your life, that you're more comfortable to have difficult conversations with your manager, with your partner, with whoever, that you are building resilience, Mm -hmm. that you uh, step into vulnerability. When you play, you're vulnerable, Mm -hmm. right? When you play, you're vulnerable. Stepping into the game, going, all right, I'm ready for anything that's going to happen to play. And the more you practice that, the, the the stronger you get and the more open you start to feel like, oh, mm-hmm. I've practiced vulnerability a few times in this, 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 in this scenario. Mm-hmm. So 
I can more easily step into vulnerability at work. Yeah. And and where did you learn this um, through your entire story? I mean, you have a powerful message. Um, how did that message become who you are? How did that, in, how did you internalize these messages? So when I had my breakdown in 2011 and I had to go on disability, had to quit my job, move back home, all those things. Mm-hmm. I started going to, uh, I will always uh, thank this man, Dr. James Shank. He has a practice at the, called the Cognitive Behavioral Institute, and it's in La Jolla, California. Hmm. At the time, I believe there was only two uh places that practice this type of exposure therapy with cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. So CBT for short. Mm-hmm. And it was a outpatient program, but I was going, you know, every day and working with a group and I had never done group therapy before. Mm-hmm. I had done individual therapy for the last, what, uh, since 2005, 2004 to 2011. So almost 10 years I was doing individual therapy. Wasn't doing that much for me, but it's fantastic. That's not a saying that it's not good. And when I did this group therapy, that's really where this change happened of like, you see me, I see you. You're Mm -hmm. someone who's going through this. You're not just a doctor who has learned about this and can tell me what I should and shouldn't be doing or whatever, which again, I love therapists. I currently see a therapist. I would <laughs> thousand percent promote therapy. Absolutely. But it was different that yeah. I was in a group and there were six other people struggling with the same anxiety disorders and panic attacks. Mm-hmm. And that was life-changing for me. And I, I will I will continue, but that speaks to a thread of part of our play. So we practice and teach purposeful, attuned play. Mm. Attunement is something that you do with another person where we are able to see each other where we're at right now. We are able to meet each other at that level with that feeling and that resonance. Mm -hmm. And then we can build or, you know, escalate, deescalate, whatever from there together. And attunement is what I needed. I needed others to see me and for me to see that they knew my struggle. They didn't know it up here in their brain. They Mm -hmm. knew it down here in their heart, in their experienced wisdom. Mm -hmm. That was life-changing. In addition, once I was starting to feel better with the group therapy, and of course I was on medication and I was trying to get off certain medication I was starting to feel a little bit better. And I was like, what, what's really going to, like, how do I get back to my life? Right? A lot of people that struggle with their mental health go, how do I get back, right? How do Ugh. I get back to before this happened? Yeah. And I think it's actually a similar thread to what's going on right now in 2020 with, yep. with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. People are like, how can we get back? When are we going to get back to normal? I want to get back to normal. And yep. it's like, um, sorry, you're not going to get back. No. You're going to go forward yes. to a new normal that you can thrive in, not only survive, you can thrive in. So I was, how do I get back? How do I get back? And so I thought, okay, when was the last time that I felt happy, that I felt joy? And I thought, okay, the last time I felt joy was, was that improv class and that, and that show that being on stage. And I want to do that again. So I thought, okay, maybe if I just chase the joy, chase what brought me happiness, then maybe the side effect will be the depression and the panic and the anxiety falls away. Maybe that will be the side effect as opposed to a lot of therapy in my mind. uh, There's a difference between, you know, there's traditional therapy and then there's what people are psychology. And then there's what people call a positive psychology. Mm -hmm. So with traditional psychology, it's diagnosing, you have this, you have these symptoms. So you have this and whatever it is. So Mm -hmm. I thought, okay. And, you know, take this pill, the side effects could be this, this, and this. I thought, okay, what about if I not focus on, I've got anxiety, I've got panic, so I need to do this, this, and this. What if I just focused on chasing the joy and then this, the side effect of this go away? That is what happened because I found the National Comedy Theater in San Diego because I was in San Diego. That's where my parents lived. I was no longer in LA and they had a class. I signed up for it. I was still going through treatment at the Cognitive Behavioral Institute and I started to take a different approach to what I was learning with improv. Mm -hmm. All of the rules of improv, yes and, fail and feature it, make your partner look good, have your partner's back, um, know when to edit, all these things. I was like, okay, what if I took these things that I feel so good doing on stage and with this group, what if I took these things and and practiced them in my real life? So I took a cognitive behavioral therapy approach 
to improv what oh. I was going to improv and it changed my life. Wow. I stepped into so much more, again, vulnerability, authenticity, confidence, safety, fun. Uh, my life was, was lit up. It was like, oh, I don't have to struggle through life. I can play my way through life. Oh. And not in the way that people think of playing my way, like I'm going to play the game of life. You know, uh, I'm going nope. to win. I'm going <laughs> to beat you at this. And I'm going to be the top salesperson at this. Like, no, I, like, I, just, get to, I just get to play for fun, not play. Yeah. Win, not play to win, play to live. And that's what I started doing. And everything started falling in from there. I got on the reality show the next year. I'm on this, you know, national television program in Norway. I made it all the way to the finale. And every week I lost. Every week I lost. <laughs> I was in the bottom every week. And you had to survive every week. Kind of like Survivor where you have yeah. to um, go against each other and, and, and win to survive. Mm-hmm. Every single week I was in the bottom. And every single week I survived and made it to the end of the show. It just, again, further affirmed. And that was play, right? It was a game. It was Mm -hmm. a, it was a contest and I was playing the game. And then after that, I started the funny Yogi. I was teaching, um, traditional yoga. I was teaching uh, laughter yoga. I'm certified in both. I was uh, using uh, improv to help teach uh, yoga instructors. Uh, first time yoga instructors, a lot of times you can learn the moves, but then you have no idea how to like be live in a class for an yeah. hour. That's being on stage, being a yoga instructor, you're uh-huh. on stage in front of 30 people and Absolutely. you with you. So started doing that and I was like, okay, maybe I can find, you know, some commonalities from my improv. And I started doing stand-up. So improv and stand-up and, and yoga and laughter yoga. And so I was like, oh okay, the funny yogi. Uh it just worked out and then I, be, then I transitioned into motivational speaking. You know, life is an evolution. And I believe that if you have this kind of playful mind, mm-hmm. this spirit of improv of yes and, yes, I agree, this is my ra- reality and I'm building on it. Or yes, I'll say yes to that opportunity and yeah. then I'll figure out how I'm going to do it. Uh, and that's scary, right? I'm, I'm not not scared when I say yes to something that mm-hmm. sounds crazy and challenging. I am scared, but I am doing my work. I am practicing every day, a cognitive behavioral therapy approach to life with improv. And I'm saying, yes, I'll do that. And then once I'm there, I figure it out. And I know I'll figure it out. This Mm -hmm. is a kind of confidence that you don't, you're not born with. And in my eyes, it's not an egotistical confidence. It's a confidence that comes from going through shit. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and so anybody who's right now in the shit, I want you to hear me. Uh-huh. You are more set up than anybody, any winner that you think about. You are more equipped and set up than any of those winners because you're in the shit right now. Wow. Oh, yeah. That is so powerful. <laughs> Sorry, I get really passionate. No, I'm glad. It's my life and it's true. And it's, it's, you know, and then everything flips again, right? I became yep. a motivational speaker. Uh, I just got asked to do it by somebody through my, uh, a side job I had. And mm-hmm. then it just took off. And I was like, oh, I, I guess I'm a motivational speaker now. That's and great. I worked and did, uh, I had clients like Google, Microsoft, like everything was ramping up. Then I had the baby. Then everything was nuts with postpartum OCD. And then COVID-19 happened. Uh, <laughs> So I am no longer currently motivationally speaking. Obviously, there are no conferences. And out of that time came developing the Playful Mind Project, which we already spoke about with uh, with Rona. But that is the trajectory and the ability to pivot and shift and mold yourself and change. And that comes with practice. And that Mm -hmm. comes with just flexing that muscle again and again. And to me, all of these things, the common thread that changed my life was taking a CBT approach to improv. Yeah. Wow. And, and, you know, and I think I might want to just step back a second. We've sort of touched on CBT here and there and little points in the, in the episodes, but maybe very, very little, but can you say like just succinctly how you describe CBT, like when you're speaking or when somebody just asks you, what is that? Sure. Sure. Uh, So CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy Uh is basically where you can identify there, there's the 10 most common distortions Mm -hmm. and uh, there's more, I'm sure, but there's 10 of the most common. And so you can, you can Google, anybody can Google them right Mm -hmm. now, the 10 most common. Uh, common cognitive distortions, and you will read them. And I guarantee you that if you're a human, you will identify with many of them. <laughs> Whether <laughs> you sure. 
whether you identify with being mentally well or ill, you will identify with some of these. Yeah. And it's everything from catastrophizing, right? So when something happens, you catastrophize it in your brain. It's way worse than it really is. Mm-hmm. Um, minimizing the positive and maximizing the negative. That's mm-hmm. a common one a lot of us do. Yep. Um, so you, you can, you, the step one is awareness. Which mm-hmm. one of these cognitive dist- distortions do I uh, associate with that really resonate? Oh yeah, I do that, I do that, I do that. Mm-hmm. And then the next step is practicing again because practicing makes permanence practicing every day and there's different techniques you can do in cbt the one that i found the most helpful was called the three column format okay every night and it's a way you train your brain every night i would go through the thoughts i had for the day and write down what they were in column one And then in column two, I would write down what the distortion was. Mm -hmm. So let's say earlier in the day, my partner and I had a fight, right? And it was like, I was thinking like, oh man, like he doesn't love me. Like he totally doesn't even know, you know, what I, he doesn't respect me, whatever it is, all the thoughts. So then in the distortion column, you go, okay, I am maximizing the negative right now because Mm -hmm. obviously my partner loves me and we just fought about the dishes, you know, like whatever it is, (laughs) you, you write it down what the distortions are. Or, you know, one of them is black and white thinking. I fall into that one all the time. Like, okay, him being mad at the dishes does not take away the five years of love that you guys have. So, so, you know, you kind of just write down, okay, I'm doing this. I'm doing, this is the distortion I'm doing. And then in the third column, you put the replacement thought. So the replacement thought to like, okay, the distorted thought is my husband doesn't love me anymore the distortion is I'm maximizing the, the negative. <laughs> I'm black and white thinking. I'm catastrophizing, right? Cause it was about the dishes. Mm-hmm. The third column is where you write down your replacement thought. And so I would write down, of course, Joshua loves me. He was just a little annoyed that I didn't do the dishes that night. I did say I was going to do them. I didn't or whatever it is. right? <laughs> I'm just making thing. And then so the replacement thought is Joshua loves me. And I got to work on doing a, a, a chore that I really hate. That was it. That's it. I never thought when I was doing that work every day, I would do that work every night when I was in the Institute. I never thought I was like, there's no way that column three is going to replace column one. Like, there's no I way. thought the same thing. I, I didn't. I, don't, yeah, I, was no like, way. I was like, this is all fun and games and I'll uh-huh. keep doing this, doctor. I'll keep doing this, but there's no way I'm ever going to get to the point where I don't have to write these down. Because when I would write them down, it wasn't just one thought. It would be like 10 or 15 for the day, right? Because uh-huh. when you're really sick, you have them all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, there's no way column three is going to replace column one guess what it does it uh-huh. does if you work Practice. it it's just like it's just like aa or any of those programs it only works if you work it mm-hmm. you know if you don't use it you lose it it's all mm-hmm. those things you hear all the time and it's and that's why i like to stick with the word of practice practice makes permanence the moment you stop practicing you can you can you let yourself you you allow your your mental well-being to uh, start getting cracks mm-hmm. yeah and I, it's funny is the thing I, that kept popping up in my mind as you're telling your story is, um, I, I'm a huge shoulds person. I, I've oh, had to yeah. really work on my shoulds. Um, don't shoot on yourself. Don't shoot on yourself. <laughs> I shut on myself all the time. At least I used oh, to, yeah. I actually, the column three has been changing in that way for me. This is a shoulds free zone. Yes. <laughs> I have to keep myself from telling other people about their shoulds. And I was like, nope, nope, nope. It's just me. It's me. This is me. Right. Um, but what I kept thinking about while you were telling your story is how easy it is for us to should ourselves in our life and you're in this corporate job you're doing all the things you probably thought you should be doing at this point in your life and I've had friends tell me that they need to have a certain I should have this kind of brand of bag by this point in my career I should have this many children I should have this kind of house um so when you should have this sea level title title is so important so important and it's like really and the great thing about I gave myself my title I'm a child I love exactly. It. <laughs> and there's no shoulds in improv because there no, no. and I love how like you, I mean, well, okay, let me back up. I don't say I love this, but like when, like the, the image in my mind of you handing that paper to your boss <sighs> must've just been so devastating because all the shoulds just fly out the window and either your whole identity is ident- is in those shoulds or you start to see a, a out of a, out of a new door and I just feel like you've just attacked your life in this way of just like 
I don't know. It's just, it, it really like as a shoulds person, just looking at your trajectory, it's like, you just kept finding all these possibilities, you know, it's well, just, wow, it's just inspiring. I was, I was, I was definitely, um, a shell of a woman when I handed that newspaper. Handed, yeah. I definitely was shooting all over myself. Yeah. Shooting, shooting, shooting on the rug oh. and all over myself. Um, <sighs> because it was, it was all of those things. Mm-hmm. I should not be doing this. I should be able to handle this. Mm-hmm. I, this is the job. Actually, that was the job that I took. That was my first director level position. And I had the exact same thought you were just saying. It was like, I got to be uh, uh, at least a, a director or, or by, by the time I'm 30. And by the time I'm 30, I have to make a hundred K. I, I Mm -hmm. that one a lot oh yeah 30 I want to make 100k and it's like there's science there is science uh, to prove I I took the happiness course through Yale and there is science to prove that the actual dollar amount that people are happiest at is $75,000 a year if you make (laughs) more than that it's just like Mace and P Diddy say more money more problems It is, it is not happiness. Okay. And below that, you know, it's more of a struggle, but 75 K. So it's so funny that most people I know, most young people, most millennials, Mm. they're like, I got to make a hundred K by the time I'm 30. And I'm like, that's not going to make you happy. (laughs) Nope. Nope. Yeah. No, it's just how, wow. What an inspiring story. I just, yeah. And I just, cause I feel so much now for people who, I mean, I'm just now to the point where I'm able, I'm really able to talk about my stuff. Like I've tried to on this podcast because actually one of the reasons why I took a two year hiatus was because I needed to deal with my shit I, yeah. and I hadn't and I was doing it. But then I was so scared to come back and say, I just left this thing hanging for two years. I had people that I was contact in contact with. I had, you know, all these things, but I was so scared to admit why. Why? So I had, to tell them I, why. Yeah. yeah. And I, I even did these episodes where I'm trying to like explain it, but I know that I was just saying anything I could not to be vulnerable. And I've thought about taking that episode down specifically when I'm thinking of right now, but I haven't. Because even if someone, because I do notice that people go back and they'll go to the beginning and they'll listen. And sometimes I just cringe because I'm like, oh, I remember like how, how hard I was trying to not be real at those mm. that point right before I fell off the map. And but I'm like, no, that was my story. And someday if I do tell it, that's going to be a part of it. And if people hear it, then that's what it is. And it's hard to be honest. The realness is what people want. Mm-hmm. People want real more mm-hmm. than they even want kind. Yeah. honestly yeah, right they do and mm-hmm. and 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 also they and for a multitude of human condition reasons right every from from the gamut of because it it can just be in comparison mode that's another cognitive distortion oh, yeah. <laughs> even to the point of like oh wow poor her i'm glad i'm not that bad and then they feel whatever something all the way to oh my god she said exactly how i feel yeah. You know, and yeah. if you do that for one person, yes, I don't care if a thousand people are on this side of the gamut, mm-hmm. you know, for one person, because when you suffer from mental uh, illness, you know that you would never, I always say, I would never wish this on my worst enemy. Mm-mm. Would you ever wish it on your worst enemy? No, no, no. So if that's how intense it is, and you know that by, by sharing your story, that if one person hears it and, and goes, oh, she gets it. That's exactly the word I say. That's exactly how I put it because everybody puts it differently. So it takes you talking about it too. It takes, it's not just me. It's not just the yeah. motivational speaker. It's not just the Tony Robbins. Yeah. <laughs> everybody talking about and again contributing to this collective consciousness this collective reality that we are all a part of Mm -hmm. and every little voice matters so I'm so like that's so rad and yeah do not delete it because it's it's (laughs) part of your story it's going to be like what I say in my speeches I never knew in 2011 that my greatest you know breakdown my greatest failure Mm -hmm. would end up leading to my greatest success Absolutely. No, there's no way to, you're, especially when you don't know that in those times, you're just, feels like the end of the world. I mean, and honestly, when if people would tell me that, I wouldn't, I, of course I didn't believe them, but it no, always, I didn't stuck, I didn't. <laughs> but it sticks in the back of your mind too. And seeing people who tell their stories, that sticks in the back of my mind too. And I don't know if it's possible for me, but I can, I can remember it. It's, yeah. It sits in there and it gnaws away yeah. in a good way. <laughs> so I know it's possible for you and I know it's possible for everyone. Yeah. If 
we practice. Like yeah. I said, I, you know, what's the craziest part about my story is mm-hmm. I, you know, became a motivational speaker and my, I, I started speaking in 2017, mm-hmm. quit my jobs that I was doing to kind of pay for my life in 2018. Mm-hmm. And became a, like, I'm full-time, I'm going to do the funny yogi and do motivational speaking. So my signature speech talks about the story and says like the whole thing was like, and now I'm better. So I talked about like 2011 and I, <laughs> and now, and now I've used cognitive behavioral therapy and improv to be better. You can do it too. And then I had a baby in 2019. And I, you scheduled things out like a year in advance. So I had a, a scheduled speech in Florida, eight weeks postpartum. And I was like, no problem. I can totally do that eight weeks after having a baby go to the speech. And now I can't say the line that I've always said, because it's this authenticity thing that you're, you're speaking to of like, and I can't tell them uh, if I can't say that sentence anymore. Now I'm better. Like they're going to know when you're a speaker, when you're anybody, yeah. when you're mm-hmm. a podcast host, anybody, when you're talking to a friend, they will know if you're yep. being inauthentic. Yep. Well, I couldn't say that line anymore. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and that's when I get the applause break in my speech. What am I <laughs> That's like everybody wants a nice bow on a story, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, tell me how bad it was, and then tell me how great you are now. Yep. That's what I've been waiting for to before I tell mine. I'm like, well, when everything's great, no. then I'll go tell about it. <laughs> in the middle, in the middle. Because just saying, even though right now in this podcast episode, it sounds like I'm one of those people like, oh, it was really bad. And I did all this, but like, no, it's great. Like, so I was in that on stage in this speech. Mm-hmm. It was a horrible speech. I totally bombed because I didn't know the words to say because I couldn't mm-hmm. say that line. It was incorrect. I was actually currently back on medication. I had been off all medication since 2011. completely medication free. And that is a great little, little note to say when you're a motivational speaker, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm happy to say I'm off all medication as of 2011. (laughs) Well, I can no longer say that because Mm -hmm. now I'm on Lexapro because Mm -hmm. I've got postpartum OCD. So all these things were happening. And when I finally found the way, it was like, wait, um, uh, what's that term that everybody uses? Um, imposter syndrome. Oh yes. Oh I yes. Had so much imposter syndrome mm-hmm. because I was like, I'm a motivational speaker who tells people how to de-stress through comedy, and I'm like losing my mind right now <laughs> uh, with OCD. So, um, so that was really hard for me. And then, it, and I was like, I'm a fraud. I'm a fraud. I can't keep doing this. This is going to mm-hmm. be the end of my career with this. You know, what a good ride, Jessica. But it's done. Yeah, and then I realized, no, I stopped. After I had the baby, I stopped practicing. I stopped practicing uh, improv. I stopped. Pra- I was on a team before then. I stopped practicing improv. I stopped uh, doing my traditional therapy. I stopped doing all CBT. I stopped uh, chasing my joy every day. It was all about my baby, not about me. I, so yeah. I stopped. So then I said, you know what? Your speech, your motivational speaker. You you can do this even more. You have even more authenticity with this story. Who cares if people want to hear the the happy ending? You mm-hmm. don't have the happy ending. You're in the messy middle, yep. and you just got to show that on stage. And so, a few months later, I was doing another speech somewhere else. I think I was back in Florida, actually, and I said all this. I said I'm currently suffering from postpartum OCD. I'm currently on Lexapro. I'm currently in an outpatient program at Swedish hospital. I'm, I I said all this and I got the standing ovation and the applause that I used to get from the, and I'm all better now. Oh my goodness. That's so powerful. But I didn't get anything. People walked out for months between that when I was suffering and didn't know how to say the story and was kind Mm -hmm. of being inauthentic. So again, you know, even when you're in the messy middle, I actually think that people love, people love messes mm-hmm. because we're all a mess. Yeah. It's a mess. And if you yep. play with the mess, you have a lot more fun. I just have an image of my daughter, like playing. Oh, yes. Insanely messy. And exactly. those are the most happy, well-adjusted kids, right? You're right. Because play with the mess. Yep, absolutely. Beautiful mess, I think was what my friends and I used to call it. Beautiful mess. Beautiful mess. That's a great way to say it. And everybody's a beautiful mess. And the people that aren't or can't admit that are are not people that you need around you. That's just like, I've just become like, that's kind of an ultimatum and it sounds Mm -hmm. really harsh. No. 
me in my life, a part of mental wellness is keeping the people that are close to you in your inner circle, mm-hmm. keeping the right people. Yes. So there are another important step to mental wellness and maintaining mental wellness. Yeah. Not only involves practicing, like we talked about a lot today, mm-hmm. but it involves necessary endings. Yes. Oh, hell yes. I'm learning that. I'm learning a lot about that. And you know, and it's hard because I feel like maybe if there is somebody out there who's li- who's listening to this right now, who's maybe like relating to some of the stuff we're talking about, or maybe even doesn't even know, like sometimes for me, before I started, it was just this general like, you know, the, the, I don't know if like the kids today will remember back when TV had snow, you know, when it made like the, yeah. like the HBO, when it comes on oh, and they yeah. have the, that was what the inside of my, my, my whole body and my head and everything felt like I had no idea. Like I couldn't differentiate. It took so much teasing out to try to get in there and see what was actually happening. Um, mm. and I had Kaiser, so I was able to go, um, get some help there, um, get into a group, group therapy thing around the eating disorder piece, like, and that kind of thing. But there are a lot of people, if I didn't have Kaiser and, but, and Kaiser is super limited that you can only see a therapist once every like six to eight weeks, which isn't very, if you don't get into a group, then you're kind of screwed. Um, and so it's, it's, it's one of those things where now it's, we need mental health care so badly, but we don't have access to it. Um, I really love that about your playful mind, um, program, because I feel like it's, it's a kind of like a, a support for mental health. And cause a lot of people, and I'm not saying it's a replacement, but for people no. who literally have no way to get care at all, I'm um, getting into programs like what you guys have created. It's, it's like a, for, it's like a booster step. Um, and 100%. then when you're in therapy, it's like, uh, it's like something that can go hand in hand with it, you know? Exactly. That it's definitely, I look at our sessions. So we call them play care sessions. Yeah. They're only 30 minutes. So they're very <laughs> accessible for working women, uh, for moms. Uh, we do work with, you know, men, a- anybody really, but yeah. we really focus on helping females uh, mm-hmm. because we know, especially in the mental health world that we are the, the most kind of, um, uh, swept under the rug, I guess I would say, our, mm-hmm. our mental load and our concerns. It's just like, oh, that's just what it's like yeah. to be a woman. Or like, oh, mm-hmm. you're just being hysterical or you're just being emotional or you're just being crazy. I love the C word, right? Like, Oh, I love it. Women, the C word is the other C word. No, the C word is crazy. Mm-hmm. Everybody likes to call women crazy. And it's like, yep. oh, no, you did not. So, <laughs> yeah. So there's, uh, it, it, what really was hard for me too is when I was going through my postpartum OCD, and I think we touched on this before or mm-hmm. maybe not, I was so exhausted. You're so drained. You're not sleeping. You're never else. Even if I had the energy to try to go online and try to find help, mm-hmm. when I would find help, every single call I did was, oh, we're not accepting new patients right now. Absolutely. And, yes. I, live, and I live in Seattle, a major market. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. not in some podunk, you know, part of the world, which again, those people, I feel so bad for them, but I'm in a major market every single call. And I'm like, it's exhausting. I don't even have time. Number one, you have to be, you have to be able to identify that you have a problem, which I only was able to identify it because of 2011's breakdown, but I Mm -hmm. knew I had an issue. Most people can't even do that. Then when you identify it, you go look for help. If you have the energy to do that, which if you are suffering from mental illness, you do not have a lot of energy. No. Number three, once you start actually going after that mental help, most of the time you get that. Oh, we're not accepting new patients, which yep. shows the major need in this country for our mental health um, practitioners. Or number four, you get, oh, we don't accept your insurance. So you can pay $350 out of pocket or no option, right? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I mean, there's so many barriers. Those were four yeah. or five barriers to entry to get mental health. Yeah. And so what we want to do is uh, provide this type of help at a very low cost mm-hmm. and a very low barrier to entry. We have sessions early morning, 6 a.m., late at night. We have sessions on the weekend. We're not a traditional therapy that maybe is only open nine to five from, yeah. you know, Monday through Thursday or whatever. <laughs> so we are, we want to be the most accessible, the most convenient, the most affordable because our mission is to help. And the way that we do it, again, we are not therapists. I am not clinically mm-hmm. changed. I am not a, a, a CBT expert. I only say that I am a CBT expert practitioner, right? Because I've practiced it for a long time, almost 10 years now. Mm -hmm. And and that's what they get. It's like, I want to give what that group therapy did for me back in 2011 of, I see you, you see, you have panic attacks. Listening to your story was so much more helpful than listening to my therapist 
And I also need a therapist. So again, I'm not yeah. saying therapy is bad, but that's what we want to hear. That's this attuned play. Mm-hmm. We attune to you. It's one-on-one. It's live. It's not pre-recorded content. Mm-hmm. And every session is customized and different based on you, what you're going through, your energy level, where you're at. We meet you where you're at, the, the, the level you're comfortable playing at. Mm-hmm. We level the playing field and we start from wherever it is. Yeah, we can go, you know, it could be the first session. We're like on stage together doing some insane improv level stuff, or it could be the 20th session and we're still right here breathing. Yep, absolutely. And I would just, I mean, I would just encourage anybody that's going through this. If you're getting, if you're hitting those obstacles, don't stop. If it's possible, if you have enough energy to keep going. I mean, I remember sitting in a parking lot with the Wobot app on my phone. It's literally like a CBT robot. There wasn't, weren't any humans on the other side, but they would like (laughs) lead me through CBT exercises. I just, I just knew I needed something. I I wasn't, I, I didn't, I wouldn't want to accept that this was just how I am. I'm like, yeah. It's good to accept yourself. That's a whole nother thing. But I just said, I'm going to try. I tried an online thing before BetterHelp and all that came out. I tried something that didn't last. So they ended up folding while I was doing it with them. Mm. And then one time I just walked into Kaiser. I'm like, I need to talk to your on-call person. I need help. Somebody please help me. And I was determined. But honestly, I think because I've but I have other I know other people who maybe didn't make those steps and go in and yell at them. I wouldn't yell at anybody, but oh, I just well, I was, was like, just, I was just yeah. going to say that your determination, mm-hmm. the work that you just chose mm-hmm. is fierce. Mm-hmm. It shows you, it proves to me that you can <laughs> be on any side of this you want to be. And, and it's also, I'm, you know, you're very fortunate because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't have that Mm-mm. and no. they just continue to suffer. Exactly. And that, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know what came over me because I was so afraid of leaving the house that it, it just didn't make any sense to me that I started doing that. But I just, I was just so upset that it wasn't something I could find. And so honestly, if you have that spark in you at all, you know, that, so finding a program like what they do at Playful Mind, I mean, if I was on with a Wobot app yeah. that was an AI <laughs> therapist <laughs> it was so silly I mean but it but it helped me it, it helped was, me something you know so anything you. you can find if you don't have access if you don't have money if you don't have health insurance just keep looking because there will be things you can't afford and if a therapy session costs you know think about how, what that costs and then do the do the math and figure out what you can I'm just I'm I'm not telling you what to do I'm just saying because it's it's <laughs> it's sure worth it it's just so worth it to to oh, take that that tact with your own self, you know. It, yeah, it really is to um, and I really like to liken it to taking agency, mm-hmm. take agency over your life, mm-hmm. and there are ways you can do this, and yeah. even as simple as social media. Mm-hmm. Now with social media, there are so many great accounts around yes. mental absolutely and, follow and get great information on um we are one of them so yep. if you want to follow us absolutely please do uh, on instagram or facebook but yeah. there are tons and we actually i we like to be a conduit and um uh um uh, you know uh, i'm gonna lose my words but sharing that so we we follow a lot of those accounts and we share that yes. daily on our stories yes and yes yes you can just you know we want to be like a hub for people to find out different things about mental wellness and of of course, we always take the, the play approach to it. Uh, yes. But even that can be a totally free way yes. to take agency over and control over your life and mm-hmm. start to take health, healthy steps towards practicing mental wellness. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll join us over at the Something to Look Forward to Facebook group. It's the Advent Light Countdown to the new year that we are all participating in. And this week is mental health. Actually, it's not Mental Health Awareness Week. Sorry, it's Human Rights Awareness. And so I am going to be using this entire week to give us all reasons to believe that mental health is a human right. And Jessica, yeah, this episode was perfect for that. So please join us. It's um, something to look forward to. Um, You can find a direct link to the group on playgrounding.com's homepage. All right, I will see you next week when we hear from Rona Lewis on play in the business world. See you then.